Welcome back to the Success Road Podcast. My name is Joshua Rivers, and this is still the year of freedom. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how you can be able to leave nothing undone. This is a audiobook that I put together. It's actually an ebook that I turn into an audiobook, and I'm going to be bringing the first part of that. There's 13 chapters. I'm going to be talking about the first seven chapters in this episode. And so we're going to be getting that here in just a minute. And so I'm going to bring the first part today. And next week, you're going to get the second part. If you want to get the ebook of this so that you can be able to have that to be able to read. And there's two different options that you can be able to have. And I'll mention this again at the end. But you can go to joshuarivers.net. And if you want to sign up for the email list, that will be sent to you. And so you'll get the PDF version of that book. You can also go to Amazon and be able to get the Kindle version of the book as well. And so that's going to be at uh, 99 cents at the time that we are recording this. And so it's going to be 99 cents for the next couple weeks. And so definitely excited to be able to share that. So the way that this book came to be, it started as a study that I did years ago about the life of Joshua. And I started teaching it in Sunday school and it just started as a three-part series and it started to grow. And as I started to study a little bit more, I'm like, well, what else is there about the life of Joshua that we can really learn from? And I came up with a list of probably 20 or 25 things that we could be able to look at different characteristics and things that would contribute to his success that we could be able to learn from. And so, and then I started going through and I started paring it down and I got it down to about 13 that I wanted to include when I was writing this book. And so there's um, definitely other things that we could be able to include. And I may come up with a a sequel, if you will, to the book at some point, Um, but I just haven't gotten to that point of being able to write that yet. And so we're going to be looking at the 13 keys to leave nothing undone. And it is taking some different things from the life of Joshua. And so to get us started, here are the 13 things that we can learn from the life of Joshua, the 13 keys to be able to learn from his life about success. So first we have priorities. Then we have purpose, then we have personal accountability, then we have principles, then we have preparation, then potential, then parchments, which refers to the Bible as the word of God. And then we have prayer, and then we have patience, and then we have perception, and then we have praise, and then we have present, and then we have perseverance. So those are the 13 keys to leaving nothing undone, some lessons that we can learn from the life of Joshua. Now, I have been told that I haven't focused as much on the life of Joshua, and that wasn't necessarily my purpose to go into an in-depth study of Joshua. I was just trying to take 13 things from his life and just quickly talk about it or highlight it and then talk about how we can use that in our life. And so it's more of a practical application than it is a study on the life of Joshua, per se. And so just so you know what you're getting into. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to 
play the introduction to this, which gives a little bit more information about it. And then we're gonna go through the first seven keys to be able to leave nothing undone. And then we'll come back next week and we will do the uh, keys eight through 13. And then we'll have a conclusion of that as well. So here we go right into the introduction to leave nothing undone. If you're listening to this, there are a couple of assumptions that I'm making. You are a person of faith. This is, after all, a book that is examining Joshua and scripture. Number two, you're someone that wants to accomplish more. Number three, you're someone that wants to achieve true, lasting success. And number four, you're someone that hasn't quite been able to make it work yet. A great example to follow. One of the greatest examples of a truly successful life we have in Scripture is Joshua. Throughout Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Joshua is described as Moses' minister. He was also following the example and leadership of Moses, the man God appointed to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into Canaan. Joshua was then chosen to succeed Moses as the new leader of Israel and bring them into the Promised Land. Joshua was not chosen because of a royal lineage or a status of nobility. He had neither of these. He was chosen, I believe, because of some very key character qualities that he had, and that these characteristics brought God's blessing and success in his life and in the lives of those around him. As we look at his life, there is an awesome statement said about him in the middle of the book of Joshua. This statement is the basis for this book. Joshua 11.15 says, As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. I have highlighted that part there. He left nothing undone. This was not his own assessment. Neither was it the assessment of his peers. This was the observation that God made and recorded for us. Joshua's testimony was that of accomplishing everything that he was supposed to do. As we look at this thought of leaving nothing undone, I'm not suggesting that you can do everything that you want to do or everything that others want you to do. I am saying that when you find what God wants you to do, develop the right character and work in God's strength, you can do everything that God wants you to do. Don't sweat the small stuff. Now, here's an interesting side thought. Notice the last part of Joshua 11:15. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. The things that Joshua had to accomplish were not an original task. Moses did not complete his job, so the job was passed on to Joshua. Don't get discouraged if it seems like your tasks are common or mundane. God has things that need to get done, and with God, nothing is a small task. My first job was at a Mexican restaurant. I just turned 14, so I'm as limited on the things that I could do. I started as a busboy and dishwasher. Many times, I had the feeling of not being significant in the company. After all, I was just a busboy and dishwasher. But think about it. 
When was the last time that you went to a restaurant and was glad to sit at a dirty table and have forks with dried food on it? I don't think so. I started to realize that even I had an important role. The keys to unlocking the door. In this book, I have taken 13 key lessons based on Joshua's life and expounded upon them. As I began to outline these, the first several began with a P, then I felt inclined to continue the trend. I had a list of 20-some characteristics that I felt led to Joshua's success. I've narrowed the list down to 13 included in this book. The 13 lessons in this book are number one, priorities, two, purpose, three, personal accountability, four, principles, five, preparation, six, potential, seven, parchments, eight, prayer, nine, patience, 10, perception, 11, praise, 12, present, and then 13, perseverance. I start with priorities and purpose intentionally. The other lessons hinge on these two. If you don't have your priorities right, you won't be able to accomplish what you need. It doesn't happen by accident. You also need to discover your purpose. And this is a direction rather than a destination. The last lesson, perseverance, is an encouragement for you to keep going. Don't give up. Don't faint. Don't quit. Too many people stop just short of victory. They end in defeat and become discouraged. They discourage others. Others stop. Change that now. Victors continue on. They encourage others to push through. Each of these lessons is important. Take each one, read it, implement it, and work on mastering it. Chapter 1 Priorities. Joshua was a man that set his priorities. Exodus 33:11 tells us that Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. He had a priority of putting things of God first. There are also several times the Bible tells us that Joshua had a priority and habit of waking up early. Joshua 3 and verse 1 says, And Joshua rose early in the morning. Joshua 6.12 also says, And Joshua rose early in the morning. Joshua 7.16 says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning. And then also Joshua 8.10 says, And Joshua rose up early in the morning. I think we see a pattern in his life. There are times that the yard needs to be taken care of. It needs to be mowed, edged, trimmed, and so forth. There are times that I enjoy getting out and doing these things, but... There are many times that I don't. I'd rather be doing something else, something more productive or important. I hired someone to do work for me one summer, and it felt good. The yard was taken care of very well, I might add, and I spent some quality time with my family instead. The yard was urgent, but not necessarily important. Well-known Baptist preacher Jack Hiles once said that life is too short to do everything you're supposed to do or even that you want to do. That means that something must be left undone. The sad thing is that most of us leave the important things undone in place of the less important things. Why is this? It's because the big things never clamor for your time. 
They don't jump up and nag you until you do something. They just sit there waiting for you to act on them. So the important things must be done on purpose. Priorities have to be placed on things. Specific priorities will differ from person to person and from day to day. This is not a fluctuation or inconsistency in your values or ethics, just a change in specific duties and responsibilities. Dave Ramsey, in his book Entree Leadership, shares about four quadrants. He got this from Stephen Covey. They are number one, important and urgent. Number two, important but not urgent. Number three, not important but urgent. And number four, not important and not urgent. We should avoid the fourth quadrant because it's a total waste of our time. The first quadrant is normally not an issue for us. We understand that these need to be taken care of with high priority. The problem lies with the middle two, the gray areas, if you will. The things that are not important but seem to be urgent are the things that tend to hang you up. They shout for your time and attention but not necessarily the most important things you need to focus on. Maybe there's someone else who can help to take care of those, a team member in a work situation, a family member, a good friend, or someone you can hire to do the work, as in my situation with my lawn. There are also the things that are important, but there's no urgency. They don't need to be done right away. We tend to procrastinate on these things. They get put off long enough that they do become urgent. Urgency tends to make us rush through the task, and that leads to a loss in quality. It would be much better for us to take care of these before they become urgent. I was always terrible with procrastination in school. I would get a project or report assigned at the beginning of the semester. I would have great intentions at the beginning to begin working on it right away and set a schedule for the rest of it. I would put an hour or two into it right away, just enough to look over the requirements and maybe nail down an idea or two. I might get a little bit of research done, but there's no urgency. It's not due for another two months. The report falls to the back burner only to get toasted to a crisp and I put get up again a week before it's due. Then I proceed to put in several hours a day, losing sleep, and try to cut corners by changing the font size and margins. Still not sure why I didn't get an A plus on those reports. It's time to set some priorities. It's time to list out what we need to do and put them in order of importance. Then we take the most important things and see which ones must be done first. The most urgent of the important. Dave Ramsey even suggests to list the things that must be done today and label them with an A. Then to order them from most important to least important. Then to list the things that would be nice to get done today but could wait until tomorrow and label them with a B. Again, ordering them from most to least important. The C list would then include things that are of low importance. However you do it, you need to make sure that you do something to prioritize the things that need to get done. They won't get done by accident. You must be intentional. A list can start with just some generalized categories. Just for an example, my personal priorities are as follows. Number one, God. Number two, family. Number three, church. Number four, work. Number five, others. And number six, self. 
You can then take these categories and span them into more specific details. For example, God is my first priority, but what does that really mean? What's involved in that? Some things that would be more specific would include Bible reading and prayer every day. For family, it can include spending an hour in the evenings with my kids or having a date night with my wife without the kids. As we work to identify our priorities and place them in a certain order, we can begin to actively identify what things are most important to us. Chapter 2, Purpose. It's very evident that Joshua knew his purpose and strived to fulfill God's plan for him. How did this come about? It was a daily routine for Joshua. The Bible doesn't reveal Joshua's younger years. When he comes on the scene, he is 40 years old and is chosen to lead the Israelites into battle. God doesn't just pick names randomly out of a hat. There was something about Joshua that pleased God. Joshua's life reveals that he had a strong desire to serve God and those around him. He stayed close to Moses as much as he could. When Moses climbed the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Joshua went up as far as God would allow. He would stay in the tabernacle long after everyone else had left. He had a pattern of seeking and walking with God. When it came time for God to choose a successor to Moses, Joshua was the clear choice. There was no one more faithful or qualified for the job. He didn't wait around for something to show up. As he sought for his purpose, it began to fuel his life. After I graduated from high school, I took a year and a half off before going to college. I spent the time working. A lot. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but it wasn't really clear to me. I didn't just want to jump into college, spending all the time and money for something that was a vague aspiration. Additionally, I was able to graduate a year early, and I didn't want to be the youngest one there. I lacked a purpose for going to college. With no purpose, there was no motivation to go. There was no compelling reason why I should go. There are many young people that are in the same situation. They don't really have a direction or a purpose when they graduate high school. There are some that go to college to find themselves, but they either don't have the major study or they graduate college with a degree that they never use. Yes, they learn things from the general study classes and develop, hopefully, a work and study ethic but they paid thousands of dollars to get a work ethic and an education you can get from the library. We need to have a purpose in life, not just a college or for choosing a career. Without a purpose in life, we wander around aimlessly. Without purpose, we waste the precious years of our life. In his book, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth, John Maxwell wrote, People say that there are two great days in a person's life the day you were born, and the day you discover why. I want to encourage you to seek what you were put here on this earth to do, then pursue it with all your effort. God has a purpose for each of us, and he has a master plan, and we each have a role to play. No person is less important in God's plan. Many times, we may use the term God's will in discussing the purpose that God has for us. We should strive to live in God's will. This is a daily journey, not a destination. 
It requires us to maintain a walk with Him. God is disappointed when we fail to show up and walk with Him. Look in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Then, the day that Eve was deceived and Adam sinned, they failed to show up. God was greatly disappointed. God yearns for that fellowship with us, but the responsibility falls to us to make sure that we get where God is. We need to seek Him out. Matthew 6.33 says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is one reason why God is my first priority. God's will or purpose for our lives is a multifold plan. There are some things that God reveals in the Bible that are His will for everyone. One such thing is that we all repent of our sin and receive Jesus as our Savior. For all those that have received Him, God's will for us is to walk with Him daily and to be faithful to the many commands He gives throughout Scripture. But then there is a specific will that God has for each of us individually, a purpose that gives us a reason why we are here and what we're supposed to do. Discovering our purpose starts with first following what we already know to do. Acts 13 begins by telling us the work that Saul, the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas are doing in Antioch. This is the chapter when God calls them to begin a missionary journey around Asia Minor which is modern-day Turkey. But what were they doing when this call came? They were busy working and doing what they already knew to do. They weren't just sitting around and waiting for a sign that dropped from heaven. The Bible also tells us in the Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's in Psalm 37, verse 23. God doesn't reveal the whole plan to us. He simply sheds light on the next step we are to take. This is why it's important for us to walk with him, otherwise we will miss his direction. Notice also that Joshua's purpose was bigger than himself. It wasn't just centered on him and what could benefit him. His purpose was focused on the entire nation of Israel. His purpose was big enough that he had to keep striving for it. After I graduated high school, I did begin searching more for God's will. I had a desire to serve in church and began being led to pursue a full-time position. I headed off to a Bible college and to get some dedicated training. During my time of Bible college, God called me to preach, so I began working toward that end. That purpose started to drive me forward. After graduating, I served in a couple of churches as an assistant, heading up and helping in different ministries. My purpose, however, was bigger than that. As I served in one church, I put together a website and worked at maintaining it. I had learned some HTML code as a teenager, so I drew from that experience. The desire to work with websites was strong as a teen, but I let it go while I was in Bible college. I started to learn more in my spare time over the next couple years, seeing the benefit it could be for churches. It was in a large purpose for me. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker while he traveled on his missionary journeys, so I started to realize that I could be a web designer and developer while I worked in a church. We need to learn and discover our purpose. Chapter 3, Personal Accountability As we look at the life of Joshua, we can clearly see that he did not shirk his responsibility. 
He didn't spend time blaming others and living in bitterness. He took accountability for himself and his actions. When he made mistakes, he would acknowledge it and get back on track. After Joshua and the Israelites conquered Jericho, he failed to ask God for guidance. The result was a failed attack on Ai. The fault lied with Achan, who had illegally taken some things from Jericho. But Joshua took the responsibility for not seeking God before advancing into battle. After the Israelites finally conquered Ai, the people of Gibeon approached Joshua and the leaders of Israel with a lie. Joshua and the leaders accepted the lie without consulting God. The result of this negligence was that the Israelites had to protect that city from the surrounding nations instead of conquering the city like they were supposed to. Joshua took responsibility for that failure. I was about 10 and my brother, about a year and a half younger than me, and one of my cousins, a year younger than him, would team up to get me in trouble. Most of the time I was innocent. Well, that's what I'm sticking with. I remember that I got in trouble one time and was grounded to my room for a certain time. It was for two or three hours. I don't remember exactly. I watched my alarm clock tick away the minutes. I knew exactly when my time was up. About 30 minutes before I was released from my jail cell, my mom came and said that she, my brother, and my cousin were leaving to go somewhere. She asked if I wanted to go with them. I adamantly stated that I couldn't go because my time was not yet up. My mom had to work at convincing me that it was okay for me to end my punishment early and go with them. I didn't realize it then, but I'm a high C on the disc profile. My C must have been really high then because I was so stuck on the rules that I wouldn't even break them for myself, even with permission from my warden. I wasn't always like this. There are plenty of other times that I would try to pass the buck and blame others. Personal accountability is vital for us to truly be successful in life. It is far too common for people to avoid it and pass the buck to someone else. There are three main enemies of personal accountability. Blame, procrastination, and victim thinking. We're very good at blaming others for what goes wrong. Unfortunately, our leadership demonstrates this for us. How many times has there been a change in leadership and then the new leader blames any problems on the previous leader? I've seen this all the time on different jobs I've held. One shift comes in and blames the other shifts for not doing their job. They then use that as an excuse not to do their job or for why something is farther behind than it should be. Taking responsibility also allows us to take action now instead of putting it off. Procrastination is usually a combination of laziness and waiting for somebody else. People tend to live by the motto, why do today what can be done tomorrow? This is a terrible attitude to have. If we don't learn to take personal accountability, we also tend to have victim thinking. We start thinking that nothing is our own fault. It's a result of someone or something else. We think that it's out of all control. While some are legitimately out of our control, victim thinking is a defeatist attitude. When we take responsibility, we acknowledge our role in the situation. We accept the blame instead of blaming others. We take ownership of our actions. We stop whining and complaining. One time, while I was working for a factory, my crew and I ran a particular order for two or three hours, and the measurement was all wrong. It was all wasted. My first instinct was to try to come up with an excuse why it wasn't my fault. 
but there was no excuse, no reason why the blame belonged somewhere else. The simple truth was that I failed to check the measurements. I still received a three-day suspension, but I feel okay with it because I didn't spend my time arguing with and trying to convince my bosses that I didn't deserve a punishment. Unfortunately, this wasn't the first mistake. Granted, it was by far the biggest, so I had multiple chances before. Personal accountability is a makeover in our lives. It's a change in attitude and thinking. It's a change in our perception. Personal accountability is a change in our questions. Those things allow us then to take action to correct the problems that we come across instead of avoiding them. We not only offer solutions, we put our own hands and feet to putting the solutions into practice. When we spend time complaining why things are wrong or unfair, there is nothing being done to fix it. It continues to remain wrong. Sometimes it gets worse. My family and I went on a long weekend to Branson, Missouri. It was my kids' first time to go there and one of the rare times they've been able to stay in a hotel. We went to a church there for Sunday morning and then headed back home after lunch. We got home that evening exhausted. As I was helping to put my daughter to bed, I stepped in her room and the carpet was wet. At first, I thought she played in the water when they were supposed to be brushing their teeth. Then I realized that it wasn't just one spot that was wet. The main water comes into our house in her closet, and the pipe was at just the right location for a finishing nail and the floor trim to puncture it. Apparently, the nail provided a seal for a while, but it began to rust. It evidently started leaking just before we got home. I could have blamed the previous owners. I could have whined and complained about it, but it would have just kept leaking. Instead, I had to focus on what I could do right then to take action. I had to go outside and turn the water off coming into the house. My father-in-law came over and helped to get it patched up enough for us to turn the water back on. We went back the next week to fix it properly. We only lived in the house for about nine months and we didn't do any work to it. We could have spent time blaming, but that wouldn't have gotten it taken care of. We had the focus on action that we could take. Chapter 4, Principles In scripture, Joshua was definitely a man that lived by principle. He had a set of values that dictated his decisions. There were a couple times that he wasn't careful and made some mistakes, but generally he stuck to his principles most of the time. When Moses chose the twelve men to spy out the land of Canaan, Joshua was one of the two that came back with a response that was based on principle. That principle was following God's instructions. God said to go into the land and to conquer it. God didn't qualify the command by saying that they only had to do it if it was easy. Joshua simply said, Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are cities that have huge, thick walls. But God said go, so let's go. You can also see his principles in action at the end of his life when he made the famous statement, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I personally try to set my principles based on the Bible. But however you do it, you need to have principles that you live by. They may not match up to others around you, but that's okay. If you live by principle, you'll be consistent. People can learn to expect how you will react in a given situation, especially in leadership positions. We need to portray that kind of reliability. 
Even when people don't agree with your principles, they can still respect you for your consistency. Granted, there are periods in your life that you may take time to examine what you believe and what you're willing to stand for. For example, when you're a teen or in your early 20s, you're still trying to figure things out. You need to eventually get to the point that you solidify what your principles are. Closely related to principles are core values. Core values are those things that you won't change based on the situation. They remain constant. They are things that you have determined that are non-negotiable in your life. I have identified five core values for myself. Gratitude, integrity, faith, relationships, and education. These are five things that I work at integrating into my life, and I'm not willing to negotiate on these. I go further into detail on these on my blog at qualitylivingmadesimple.com forward slash core dash values. I also think of the example of Daniel. In the Bible, he is one of the prime examples that we should follow. In the first chapter of Daniel, we see that Daniel is taken captive as a young boy. He was set aside and taken through special preparations because he had great character and potential. In the story, we also see that he had great principles. They were all told to eat the king's meat, which was sacrificed to the Babylonian gods. Daniel knew that this was wrong, so he stood his ground. He went to the guard over him and requested to have just simple bread and water instead. The guard was afraid that this would make Daniel and his friends too pale and weakly when they stood before the king. So Daniel convinced them and to test it for just a short time. After the allotted time, Daniel and his friends actually looked healthier than the others. God blessed Daniel for standing by his principles. Later, Daniel faced another challenge. He had continued to be faithful to both God and to his king, rising to be the second in command over the empire. The other princes and presidents became jealous and came up with a scheme to catch Daniel. They knew that Daniel was so honorable and respectful of the law that the only way that Daniel would break a law would be if the law went against the law of God. The presidents went to King Darius and began praising him. While the king was feeling really good about himself, the presidents were able to convince him to sign a law that stated that no one was allowed to pray or petition anyone, including God, for 30 days. The law was according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which meant that the law could not be altered or overturned. Daniel heard about the new law, but it didn't stop him from faithfully continuing his daily practice of praying three times a day with his window open toward Jerusalem. He was, of course, caught for his rebellion to the law and thrown into the den of lions. Darius was very respectful of Daniel and never thought about how the law could affect him. He was caught up with his own self, which is a whole other lesson. Darius couldn't sleep all night and rushed into the den of lions early in the morning. To everyone's surprise, Daniel was alive and completely unharmed. God protected Daniel because he lived and acted on his principles. Chapter 5 Preparation Joshua was a man of war, the captain of the army of Israel. He knew and understood the importance of good preparation. After he had officially become the new leader of the children of Israel, they began preparations to cross the Jordan River and conquer the land of Canaan. He got his directions from God, made a plan, 
prepared the people around him, and executed the plan. Part of the early preparation was announcing to the people that were, they were going to get moving on this command of God. He put a deadline on it. Not just some arbitrary time in the future, he commanded the people to get their stuff packed up and get ready to go. He then sent two spies to Jericho to scout out the land. They were protected and brought great encouraging news back to Joshua. With the word of encouragement, Joshua prepared the cross over the Jordan River. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Joshua then called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every man a tribe. So we see that while the spies are gone, Joshua is no doubt getting everything else in order. He was preparing every detail. He was getting people in place to take care of the different responsibilities. As soon as the spies got back, he was able to make a move, all because he was busy preparing. King David was one of the best, if not the best, king that Israel had. David had an intense desire to build the temple for God. But God would not allow David to do it because David had so much blood on his hands from being a man of war. Solomon, David's son and successor to the throne, would be the one to build the temple. David, however, was not content to just sit back and do nothing. He did everything he could to prepare for the building of the temple before his death. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparations for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. And that's what is written in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5. We can learn from the example of these men. They faced very difficult situations, yet were persistent in preparing for what was to come next. They didn't know all the details of what was going to happen, but they prepared for what they knew to expect. Joshua didn't know how they were going to cross the river or how they were going to attack, but he got the people ready to move and he got them motivated. Proverbs 24 verse 27 says, Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. As you work on your own preparation, you need to realize that it's a personal thing. Notice that the verse above says to make it fit for thyself. That means you need to do whatever the work is that you need to do. You need to make it fit for yourself. The work itself may be the same for everyone, but the execution may be a little different. I've worked for over 10 years making boxes in a factory. There's a specific process that needs to be followed to be able to get a quality box. Some things have to be done a certain way. At the same time, there are various ways that people can do the job. I obviously think that my way is best, but I've learned that it may just be best for me. I've trained a number of different people. As I do, I show them how to do the job step by step. I explain it as I go, demonstrate it, and then give them an opportunity to practice it. After they get to a certain point, I begin to tell them that while I do it a certain way, they may find another way that is better for them. I do tell them why I do it my way, but I leave it to them to figure out what works out best for them. Preparation always comes before execution. Sometimes preparation is minimal. To make a bowl of cereal, all you need to do is get a bowl, a spoon, the cereal, and the milk. Then you're ready to eat. If on the other hand you're getting ready for a Thanksgiving meal, there is much more preparation needed. Have you ever watched a cooking show? 
Have you noticed that they never go searching through the refrigerator or cupboards to find their ingredients? They already have everything out, measured, and ready to go. They took the time to prepare so they can have a quick, smooth execution. Begin preparing your work, customize it to be fitting for you, then get to work on it. Chapter 6, Potential. We've already talked about God having a purpose for each and every one of us. His purpose sets a standard for us to reach for. This is our potential. Many people fail to reach their potential. They feel that they are inadequate to do much. Maybe they feel like they've already achieved everything that they can in life. Maybe they just don't know how to do it anymore. Every single person has potential that they have not yet reached. Joshua was an example of someone that had a lot of potential and worked endlessly to reach it. Joshua was a slave child in Egypt. He didn't grow up with the benefits and luxury of the Egyptian owners around him. How much could a simple young slave do? Fortunately, he realized that there was much more than living as a slave. The Bible doesn't record details of his life before Exodus 17. In that chapter, the children of Israel are attacked by the Amalekites, and Joshua is chosen to lead the Israelites in the battle. This isn't just a little fight between siblings. This is all-out war. What qualifications did Joshua have to be able to take a group of untrained men into battle against a seasoned army? My belief is that Joshua received some training in Egypt. He must have been in the slave to one of the captains in the Egyptian army. He must have watched the soldiers practice. He must have learned some battle strategies. And since his time, Joshua has been studied by military leaders as one of the all-time great military strategists. He no doubt had the privilege to even practice with a sword himself. Growing up, he had no idea what use this training and preparation would be for. He didn't know that he would be used to save the Israelites and become their leader. But he did know that he had potential beyond his current situation. You need to realize that you also have potential and that it's bigger than you are now. No matter what stage you are in life, there is more that you can do. There's more for you to accomplish. I tend to be careful with statistics. Statistically, I should not be where I am doing what I'm doing. Statistically, I should be in a drug-ridden neighborhood Statistically, I should be working minimum wage job, just scraping by because of child support payments. Statistically, I should have dropped out of high school. Statistically, I should not be celebrating over 10 years of marriage, starting a business, creating a successful blog and podcast, preaching and teaching in a Christian school, or writing books. I generally put little weight in statistics because it puts people in little boxes and seals the lid on them. People look at statistics and get discouraged because they don't match up to their perceived value. They see the artificial top and stop because they don't see that they have much more to grow and to give. Why is it that people tend to do the same profession as their parents? Why is it that people don't move far from their child at home? Why is it that people stay in dead-end jobs for decades? It's because they think that they see the top and that they're already there. You need to learn that if you see what looks like the cap to your potential, you just need to take out that metaphorical pocket knife, cut the tape, and get out of that little box. Chapter 7, 
Chapter 7, Parchments. When I use the word parchments here, I'm referring to the Bible. The Apostle Paul referred to the scriptures as the parchments in 2 Timothy. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had gone to a Mormon church for a little bit while my brother and I were in foster home, and I had visited a Lutheran church a couple times. Other than that, I had never had any religious association or teaching. In fact, by the time I was 12, I was adamantly an atheist. At that time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference between Moses and Noah. If you told me that it was Moses that built the ark, and that Noah parted the sea, I would have taken your word for it. There was a change, though, when I was 13. We moved into a new apartment complex, and there were two teens living next door. They invited me and my brother to a youth activity and their church to play basketball. We would also swim and eat hot dogs. I could tolerate basketball. I wasn't very good, but I at least enjoyed it enough. I loved to swim and eat hot dogs. Well, I was a growing teenage boy. I began to learn about Jesus and the other stories in the Bible. Several months later, I was invited to the Sunday school. I started becoming more and more faithful. I made a profession of faith, but I never really received Jesus as my Savior. My desire for reading and memorizing the Bible became intense, though, that at the age of 13 to 14 years old, I read through the Bible completely in less than nine months. I remember one specific time, it was on a New Year's Eve, that I read about 30 chapters. I began to learn a very important lesson. The main key to success in life lies with what you do with the Word of God. Joshua 1.8 is the only verse in Scripture to use the word success. And that verse says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This is part of God's commission to Joshua as he was starting out as the new leader of Israel. God first established his leadership, then he gave a clear command and purpose for Joshua. Then he gave Joshua what he needed, which was the key to success and encouragement. Encouragement was needed because of the difficulty that lied before him. There's difficulty in front of all of us as well, as long as we're marching forward. Success was to come through the Word of God. The specific use for the Word of God in this context is to meditate on it. This is not sitting with your legs crossed and your eyes closed and chanting, Om. This is taking some serious thought to what is written in scriptures. This command of meditation implies at least one thing, if not many. And they are, number one, reading scripture. If we're going to meditate on scripture, then we must have first taken the time to read it carefully enough to have something to think about. This can be done to listen to it as well as in listening on a CD or through preaching or some other means. Number two, memorizing scripture. While you're taking the time to meditate and really think about a portion of scripture, the tendency will be to memorize it. The number three, heeding scripture. If you're really meditating on what scripture says, you'll come across things that you should either start doing or stop doing. We need to learn to put the scriptures into action. And then number four, sharing scripture. If God speaks to you through a passage in scripture, share with others to help them as well. I mentioned my intense desire for the Bible as a teen. Not only did I read through the Bible in a fairly short amount of time, 
but I also began to faithfully memorize scripture. Our youth group got a program that taught us to memorize one new verse every day. Seems fairly complex, but it wasn't too bad after you got it. What happens after you immerse yourself more in scripture? It becomes much more real to you. You begin to see how it really does apply to you personally. You begin to see how to implement what God wants in your life. The blessings begin to flow. As I became more and more faithful to the Bible, I began to understand more about the doctrines in the Bible. I could intelligently debate with even adults on the subjects of the Bible as a teenager in high school. I remember talking with a Jehovah's Witness one time at a bus stop and seeing him get so frustrated because he couldn't convince me about the 144,000 witnesses in Revelation. God not only blessed my knowledge of Scripture, but I also began to improve in my speaking. I grew up with a terrible stuttering problem. Part of this was due to a bad habits, which I was able to work through with a couple years of speech therapy. The other part had to do with nervousness. My time in the Bible began to give me boldness, especially as I started having opportunities to speak about it. There are numerous ways that God may choose to bless you for your faithfulness to his word. The simple fact is that success in life really does rest here. Well, I thank you for listening to that. I hope it was a help and a blessing to you. If you did enjoy it, like I said, you can go to joshuarivers.net and be able to put your email in there and be able to get the PDF version of this ebook for free. Or if you want to get the Kindle version, you can go to Amazon and be able to get that. I have created a link for that, and you can go to joshuarivers.net slash undone, and that'll take you right to the page there on Amazon to be able to get that Kindle book. And so like I said, it's going to be 99 cents for the next couple weeks by the time of this release. So probably somewhere around uh, mid-March or late March that it'll... Uh, be going back up to its regular price. So you definitely want to make sure to take uh, advantage of that. There is also a um, paperback version that could be available through um, uh, it's, I can't, I think it's a create space. And so I had that put together. Um, and so that could be a, a possibility for you. And that is set at $8. Um, or $7.99 and so that could be available there if you should so choose to have that version for that and so that is what we have for today so um, definitely would encourage you to be able to get this it is uh, I've gotten some really good feedback from this and um, so I definitely know that it could be a help and a blessing to you as you try to be able to make more progress in success in your own life And so these can be some things to be able to help um, guide you and to be able to help direct you in some different areas to be able to have higher levels of success. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And again, go to joshuarivers.net to find out more. Thank you. God bless.